Welcome to this conversation. I'm your host, Teresa Keller, and my guest today is Amber Wilt, and we're going to be talking voting. Amber is the Virginia coordinator for what is called the Campus Vote Project, and it also includes part of the organization is called the Fair Elections Center. She's on Emory and Henry's campus to do a presentation for students about voter suppression, and we're going to share her content, her ideas, her thoughts, her information with you. So thank you for tuning in. And Amber Wilt, Virginia Coordinator, Campus Vote Project, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And you had to have a little journey to get here to Southwest Virginia, didn't you? I did, yeah, about a four, four and a half hour trek. Um, I'm up in the northern part of the state, but it's a beautiful drive, so I'm happy to have made it to come down here and see you all. Well, and you just spoke to a class, and you're going to do a lyceum. Oh, my goodness, when people are hearing this, you're long gone because (laughs) this is going to air on Wednesday, but you're here to present your program on voter suppression. Let's just talk first about your organization and what your organization mission is and how it is that it brought you here. Yeah, so uh, as you said um, in my introduction, we are Campus Vote Project, and we are a project of the Fair Election Center. Um, So to give some background on that, uh, it's all within one org. But we're a national nonpartisan nonprofit. Um, So we are, the Fair Election Center is a voting rights organization that works to remove barriers for underrepresented communities. Um, That side of the org, they primarily do this work through litigation. Um, And then they also have a poll worker recruitment program that they do uh, called Work Elections. And um, then within that, we also have our Campus Vote Project, which is where I'm housed. Um, I work in Virginia, and we work in 13 states total with the work that I'm doing. So we have uh, 10 states where we have full-time staff, like what I'm doing in Virginia. And then we work in three additional states solely with HBCUs. Um, And we have a coordinator that works through that, through our Legacy Initiative Program. And why the heck? Is this organization necessary? I mean, voting. Everybody votes, right? One person, one vote. Great democracy. Um, That's the idea, right? Uh, But as we know, not everyone turns out to vote, and maybe not everyone knows if they're an eligible voter or not. Um, People don't know when elections are happening. So kind of our goal as the Fair Election Center, their particular focus is dealing with voter suppression concerns through litigation, like I said. Um, And so they're working on essentially suing states who are passing laws that are suppressing voters. But the Campus Vote Project side, we work particularly with college students and youth voters uh, to work to get them informed on elections and voting and also empower them to vote and turn out to the elections because Um, as it's been in the media in the past few years, but uh, young people turn out at the lowest rates compared to any other age demographic, typically that 18 to to 30-year-old range. Um, And so our goal is to particularly target college students um, to get them registered to vote, make sure that they're equipped with the right information, you know, knowing if you want to vote on campus or back home. There's so many things that go into it. Um, And so we really work to to make sure that students feel equipped when they show up to the polls or if they decide to do an absentee ballot or vote early. It seems like it's simple, but it actually gets complicated. Now, let's start with the big picture. It's stunning to hear you talk about you have to sue states because states are trying to suppress the vote. Oh, my gosh, just talk about that. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny. I mean, I'm... Oh, but I'm I'm pretty young, so I don't remember obviously the whole history of how we've gotten to the point that we are today with voting rights. But it, it's a constant battle um, in the states that we work in, and states that we don't work in, even where uh, state laws are passed that are suppressing voters. You know, through different laws, such as you know, even in Virginia, the passing of or the the changing in procedure of the voting rights restoration process. Other states, you know they limit what kind of IDs you can use to vote. Um, Some places are really adamant about, you know, not having campuses as polling locations or there's so many other things. And in, you know, early voting periods, luckily in Virginia, we have 45 days, but in some states they don't even have 10. So there's so many things that go into it uh, that make the work that we're doing so important. I I may be dreaming this. Didn't some state pass a law that says it's a crime to give water to people who are waiting in line to vote? Yeah. So, I mean, there is a federal law that says that you cannot incentivize people to register to vote or vote. Um, and then states pass their own laws in regard to that. You might be referring, and I think it might be in Georgia, you have to be so many feet away from a polling location if you're offering any sort of food or beverage, regardless of what information you're providing, um, you can't be with any, I, I don't remember the the distance, but it's, it's quite a few several feet away <laughs> that you can't be um, offering people who are standing in line uh, water. Because that's anything. a great incentive uh, to vote if you are hydrated enough to continue to walk to the poll. Yeah. <laughs> So it, it's shocking that that people who are elected and passing laws would would want to be uh, so repressive. Yeah, well, I mean that also. I don't. I don't know. You know too much about the history in Georgia in particular. You know, there's a lot of different. A lot of states pass a lot of different laws when it comes to voting. Um, but you know, there is fear about people trying to convince people when they're you know in line to vote for a certain candidate or vote for a certain party. Um, so I think that's kind of what it comes down to. But then it also is another tactic where you're kind of hurting the folks who want to vote, but maybe they can't wait in a long line like that. They don't have the means to have water on hand or they forgot water. And it's another reason that they could just turn around and go home. Um, so, Well, and let's talk about college students in particular. The, the voting percentages, you said, are extremely low for college-age people. Yeah, well, it has gone up, um, thankfully, you know, in the 2020 election and even for the midterms in 2022, obviously it dipped because it's just lower voter turnout in general with midterms. But um, it was still a higher turnout than what we've seen in previous years. I don't have the numbers on hand, unfortunately, Um, but it has grown uh, by quite a good uh, percentage thankfully. Um, And I'd like to think it's some of the work that we're doing, but there's a lot of other orgs who are also doing this work, thankfully. But the difference between us and some other orgs is that we do this work uh, each semester. We're working with campuses. We have student fellows that work with us, um, and they're working every single semester. Um, And, you know, in Virginia, we're fortunate enough that we have elections every year, but that's not the same in every state. But even in the states that we work with that don't have elections every year, our staff is still working in those states to make sure that students are equipped and and prepared for when the election does roll around. Well, when you're working with college students, they don't have the benefit of having seen what happens long term, depending on 
who's voting and how the votes turn out and all that kind of thing as someone of my age does. So it sounds to me like you're up against a big challenge. What happens when you speak to students? What what are the things that you learn about what they know or don't know or care about or don't care about? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, I've spoke to so many students across Virginia in particular, and like I said, we have national fellows, so hearing from all sorts of folks. I mean, a big thing that I see is, you know, apathy. Students don't feel like their vote matters or, you know, they feel like they are just a number, which, you know, in some of those big elections, it does feel like that. It kind of is like that with your federal elections, but that's why we really stress the significance of voting in your local elections for your state representatives. Um, it is it is a tall task, <laughs> but it's something that we hope um, really emphasizing and helping them feel educated. I mean, that that's a big thing for students is not feeling like they know who's on the ballot. Feel like, oh, if I show up and I vote, sure, I can recognize what a party stands for, but what is that that candidate actually representing? And so while we are nonpartisan, we don't support any party or candidate, we are uh, helping students find those resources so they can make those uh, decisions when it comes to when they're looking at their ballot and marking who they want to vote for. Have you seen, you've got to have a story of somebody who stands out in your mind as the person who said, I'm not voting, I don't care, it doesn't matter, and they got turned around? Um, I'd like to think that that person is me. <laughs> um, I, you know, before we got on here, I told you a little bit about like my experience. I didn't vote in my first election that I was eligible. It was 2018. Um, it was my first time away from home. Uh, my parents weren't really avid voters. I don't think they voted until 2008 for the first time, and they were very much eligible prior to then. Um, they're not that old, but <laughs> if they ever hear this, they're not that old. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I had no knowledge or interest in it. And I thought the same thing of, oh, my vote doesn't matter. What's the point in voting? And so my first election, I didn't vote. Um, I ended up making some different life decisions, uh, came back around, ended up being back home my, my second year, I ended up transferring schools and, and back in my hometown, commuting to campus, living at home. And I got really involved with an office on campus that did voter registration. Um, and it was kind of my task working for them that I had to do voter registration. And at that point, um, I had realized there were so many things I cared about. There were so many things that I had a particular interest in that I was you know, I, I had really strong feelings and I was complaining and I was complaining to people, I was complaining to my friends, complaining to my professors, like, why are we not doing anything about this? Why is no one addressing this? And it's like, well, to even bring these concerns, you have to vote for the people who are making those laws to begin with. And at that point, I wasn't. So that's when I realized how voting is very much the first step in the journey. And when I finally had the opportunity, uh, I didn't live in Virginia at the time, so 2020 was the first time that I could vote again. I was so quick to be at the polls. I had worked a 10-hour shift at my job that day. I luckily didn't have classes. But as soon as I got off at, I think, 5 p.m., my parents and I went to the polls together and we voted. And it was helpful to have them there with me. Um, But I think there are just so many barriers for young people in particular that it feels so intimidating. And I was glad that I finally got to get over that and realize the importance of it, but then also having the support from them as well to, to kind of show me the ropes of what it looks like on election day. So you're exhibit A of how a college student gets turned around. And so you're down doing the same thing. Can you um, tell me maybe what some of those topics were? You said you realized that you had interests and you realized that how you voted could make a difference. 
not to ask you how you feel about an issue, but what were the issues? Yeah, so um, I would say, you know, a lot of things, being a woman myself, women's health became a, you know, a big talking point for me. Um, you know, climate change was another that I, I felt really strongly about. Um, just a lot of different, you know, those hyper polarizing issues that we talk about, I realized I was talking about them too and having these really strong feelings about them. Um and, you know, while the work that I do now doesn't necessarily talk about those things, we like to bring it up in the sense of, you know, those are the things that drive people. Those are the reasons people vote. And if your candidate that you're voting for is talking about, let's say, climate change, for instance, in a, in a way that you also agree with, then you know that person is someone that is going to make laws or, or at least propose bills that are in your best interest. My guest today is Amber Wilt. She is Virginia coordinator of the Campus Vote Project, and she travels around Virginia working with college students to try to engage them, inform them, get them registered to vote, get them involved in politics in a nonpartisan way. Amber, is the nonpartisan part of it hard for you? It's, you've, I'm sure, you, as you said, mm-hmm. you've got opinions, but you can't say them to, to people you're working with. Yeah, actually, I think for some people it might be difficult. For me personally, I grew up kind of dealing with talking to people who had different beliefs from me, like my whole life, essentially. I got really good at playing a devil's advocate or, you know, learning how to talk to people who I may not necessarily agree with um, and, and learn to to kind of work with them, come to a mutual agreement or or even just like talking about the basic importance of voting um it's it's not it it's not difficult for me to talk about nonpartisan issues or or everything is kind of partisan in some way right but it's never been um it, it's a lot easier for me than i think some other folks just because of my upbringing and kind of what i had to go through personally to get to where i'm at now well it's a wonderful quality to have and you get farther <laughs> further i'm sure that way than you know for struggling so hard to keep your opinions to yourself. I want to ask you this question. You say the organization is nonpartisan. A lot of people would, I think, immediately perceive that your organization is partisan because you're suing Governor Yunkin. He's a Republican. So how do you how do you justify that, explain that in the nonpartisan approach that you're supposed to be taking? Yeah, so um well, just because he's a Republican doesn't mean that uh, we're suing him solely for that reason. Um, I, I don't know if we talked about it, but it's the arbitrary voting rights restoration process uh, that's changed, that he changed. And and that's something that, you know, our main concern is making sure that eligible voters are voting and that, you know, people who maybe did lose their rights to vote can gain those rights back. Um, and, and we want to make sure that, like I said, every vel- eligible voter is voting. So obviously my instance with the organization is in Campus Vote Project, and we do focus with youth group, youth populations, but we still care about every single individual. Uh, and we want them all to vote. Uh, so in this instance, uh, there are previous administrations where the restorations of right, uh, restoration of rights procedure was much simpler. Um, so you're and, talking about people who are convicted felons. Yes. They serve their time, they get out, and they, in Virginia, don't have the right to vote. Yes. Yeah, so what happened previously before Youngkin had changed it, um, 
earlier this year was that it was a pretty seamless process. You essentially applied and got your rights restored. Um, and now the transition is that Youngkin has the sole discretion to choose who will have their rights restored. Um, and, and what makes this a nonpartisan issue is that this, what was previously in place was under multiple administrations and both Republican and Democratic governors. So it has nothing to do with the party's stance, but just we're focused on making sure, like I said, every eligible voter is voting. And so now that that's under attack, that's when our Fair Election Center lawyers kind of step in and and work to deal with those issues and solve it through litigation. Well, I've often said that many of the advancements we have in this country came because somebody sued. Somebody (laughs) felt cheated, like it was unjust, and they sued. But you're dealing with, in that kind of case, you're dealing with a population of people who've been in prison. I'm sure when most of those, I'm not sure, I would imagine (laughs) that most of those people get out of prison and voting is not top on their minds. So you you need somebody to fight. You need to find people who are outraged and want to fight. How did you find those people? Did they come to you? Did you, was this issue bubbling? How how did you get started on this? Yeah, so I can't speak too much on it in the sense of I'm not a part of our team of lawyers. I am not a lawyer. Uh, they do amazing work and they're they're doing really great stuff with this. But they're uh, suing on behalf of No Left Turns, which is another organization that works with convicted felons. So what kind? What would be the profile? Of somebody you'd be looking for. Yeah, just someone who um, is, you know, previously uh, a convicted felon who is eligible to get their rights restored, which is anyone in Virginia, essentially, who has, you know, a post out of jail, essentially, out of serving their sentence. I guess, I don't know, help me with this, the justification of you're not being able to vote if you are a convicted felon and serve time. Is it you did something bad in society and you don't deserve to have a voice? Well, it's interesting, right? Because you're you're upheld in, you're upheld to these laws, um, and you break the law, so you pay the time. Um, but then for the rest of your life, you don't get to have a say in what those laws are anymore. It it just doesn't really make sense in terms of a country who. You know, we we argue that we want everyone to vote, and if people are upholding or being um, responsible to follow these laws, and they can't even vote for the people who make the laws, it it kind of hurts our democracy in that way. And you know, there are some states; it's very state dependent too. There are other states that people don't have any issues getting their rights restored, or some even people can vote absentee via while in jail. So it's not. It's not a national thing. It's it's very much state based, and I think that's why we have similar lawsuits not only in Virginia but also Kentucky as well. Um, so just to kind of recap, Governor Yunkin issued an executive order as and said, "I'm in charge of deciding who gets their." rights to vote back. But it was essentially an ex- executive order that changed the restoration of rights procedure from what it previously was of being a much more seamless process to being solely determinate by him. And it says that in the Constitution that that decision is up to the the governor of Virginia. But that's why our lawyers are working on this case, because we don't think that that should be. So the claim is going to be his order is essentially unconstitutional. 
Um, I don't know for a fact. Um, we're going to assume that. We don't have, okay. We're not lawyers. Uh, be warned, listeners, we don't know what we're talking about. But anyway, from a seamless process where you apply and get your right back, Governor Youngkin has said, I'm in charge. What has been his record of approving people who, appro- who apply uh, to get their voting rights restored? Um, unfortunately, I don't have the numbers, but it was a significant decrease um, in the amount of uh, people who were applying and getting their rights restored from the previous year where uh, the original uh, or the previous standard was in place compared to, to what he's changed it to now. So we're talking about convicted felons getting their rights to vote back. We touched on this. You work with college students, and college students typically vote in low percentages. But you're working to try to improve that. But there are people working to deny college students the right to vote. How pervasive is that? Yeah, I... It's. It feels like it's everywhere because I'm in this work, right? <laughs> I feel like I see it everywhere. Um, but to some folks, it may not be obvious, you know, especially in Virginia where we have, you know, 45-day early voting period. We have a relatively, um, you know, easy voter ID laws and, you know, we have – absentee ballots without any reason. We have, you know, drive-through voting. We have so many things that help voters, but that can all be easily taken away because these are all state laws. These things can all change in the next session, the next General Assembly session. And so that's why we're really uh, making sure that students in this election in particular are turning out, not just students, but everyone, obviously. But um, that, you know, this election is for the General Assembly, and these are the people that make your laws in Virginia, and um, we care a lot about making sure that we still have these expanded voting rights and want to continue to expand them to make it even easier for college students and, and eligible voters to vote. It sounds, it really sounds truly unbelievable that there are organized, massive efforts to keep college students from voting. I would just challenge people who think these two women don't know what they're talking about. This can't be happening. Just to Google or search for efforts to stop college students from voting and a whole host of headlines come up. Well, and it's not just, um, it's not always obvious, right? Like, um, for instance, the early voting day period, you're like, you know, do we need 45 days? How, How helpful is that? And it's like, students typically don't have off on election day, like people who, you know, like, high school students. They have to use high schools as polling locations. So those schools are closed, but a lot of colleges aren't closed on election day. So having ample opportunity to go and vote is really helpful for college students. And also, you know, same day voter registration was another thing that was passed just last year in Virginia that was utilized widely by college students. Even just thinking about, I believe, uh, you know, we work with so many campuses, but I think the University of Virginia even saw like hundreds of students registering the same day um, because of this. So it's it's things like that that um, they may not be they may not be obvious that they would help college students in particular vote, but knowing a college student's schedule, uh, if you know a college student or you are one, you know that on a Tuesday, you typically aren't always available from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. 
And that's when the polling location is open. So, and, and, you know, then it comes in with the education factor, so many other things. But um, they're busy. They're busy regardless of what year they are in. A lot of them have additional jobs. And it's just so many different factors that, you know, prevent or not prevent necessarily, but make it a barrier for them to vote. Well, we are personally charging you with the responsibility <laughs> to increase that percentage from 25 to what? 50? We want, come on. Come on, Amber. We want 25% improvement in Virginia. It's all on your shoulders. What's it like coming to Emory and Henry compared to the, I mean, we're just starting efforts here, and there have been some major strides here to get, to encourage voter registration among students. But what are you seeing? What are the ideal scenarios that you see at other colleges and universities? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I will say um, one thing that's unique about like how we work with campuses is that we work with not only the students but college admin and faculty on campuses because you know we're an outside group coming in and working with you. Uh, you all know your campuses way better than we do, and so we don't come in with like a set plan of how to approach voter registration and, and engaging on civic engagement on campuses. That's why we work with folks on the campus who know it better, know the best ways to approach it, and then we find how we can best support them. So there isn't necessarily a one-size-fits-all, I would say. Um, in an ideal world, I wish there was, but it, it's very dependent on what the needs are on campus. And you have a system for addressing that, which mm -hmm. is to find people on campuses Tell us about your fellows program. I don't know that a lot of college students will listen to this program, but people who are related to college <laughs> students will, and there are some grand opportunities <laughs> that you have with your organization. Yeah, so we do have a, a democracy fellowship program, um, and with that, typically we you know, first try to identify a faculty or staff member on campus who would be willing to, to work with a student to do voter registration and education work, all nonpartisan, of course. Um, and so we first work to identify someone, and then they can help us identify students typically. There are other times where we go with other means of, you know, using platforms like Handshake or other uh, places where students can find jobs or part-time opportunities um, that they can work with people outside of campus. Um, but that's essentially how we identify the students. And then we give them resources and, and educational programming to help them feel equipped to work with their students or their peers on their campus. Um, and then we kind of work with them as the expert on their campus to identify kind of what best approaches should we take in engaging them. And you know what you forgot to say in terms of what you <laughs> offer What's the big one? Yes, they are paid opportunities, and they are every single semester. Um, so it's for students who work with us, it's $700 the first semester that they work with us, and then every semester after that that they work with us in the fellowship program is $900. So people out there who are related to college students, did you hear that? They can make $900 a semester? Yeah, after after completing the first semester, uh, $700 the first and $900 every semester after. And then you have summer internship programs as well. Yeah, well, we have actually all year round oh, internship. Okay. Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> um, it, so there's always opportunities to work with us. We not only have our fellowship program, but we also have our student advisory board, which is another paid opportunity as representatives of the states that we work in, as well as affinity groups. Like we have a college, a community college um, affinity rep on our student advisory board and other groups. Um, yeah, there's a lot of paid opportunities to Hello, work with us. Hello, paid opportunities. <laughs> Go to campusvoteproject.org. 
campusvoteproject.org. Lots of information there. Any final quick wrap-up that you'd Uh, like to say, Amber? I guess one thing is that we're constantly working to ensure that people's rights uh, to vote are maintained. Um, And we're really working to make sure that college students know these rights and know that they're eligible to vote and feel equipped to show up to the polling location on election day or early voting or absentee ballots, whatever they choose to do, completely nonpartisan. Um, And we just really want to make sure that everyone is voting, not just young people, but everyone. Everyone go vote. If you have any questions about what we've been talking about, go to campusvoteproject.org. If you have any questions about voting, you can get directed from that location most likely. And thank you so much for making the trip to Southwest Virginia and to working with Emory and Henry Campus. Thank you for having me. My great pleasure. Amber Wilt, Campus Vote Project, here on this conversation, which you can hear here Wednesdays at 6 and Sundays at 2. You can find our podcast after we get that posted, after the show airs, and you can find that by just looking for WEHC, This Conversation. Thank you for tuning in.